to another episode of Future Barn. Here I am today talking to my friend Colt Carpenter, who is the president of the Anderson Disc Golf Club. He's the head brewer over at Pax Verum in Lapel, and he is a fellow uh, Madison County atheist, a club that I have unofficially just made up. Um we will be having no meetings. Anyhow, it was great to talk with Cole, as you can tell by our two-hour-long conversation here. Um, yeah, we just talk about those things. We talk about uh, his relationship with disc golf, um, his journey into brewing, and his uh, and the evolution of his spirituality and religious beliefs. Um, it was delightful for me. Um, I can't remember if I left it in the episode or not. I think I did. But there's a great thing that Pete Holmes says um, where he knows a good conversation partner because it's like playing with a beach ball with someone where they hit it back and forth and you hit it high and you're, you're keeping it back, going back and forth and you're not just playing with it by yourself or the person just doesn't let it hit, hit let your question hit him in the head and just sits there. It, it's this back and forth. Um, and Colt is great at that. It's one of the many reasons why I enjoy uh, chatting with him. Um, so I hope, um, no, no matter what you're interested in, I hope this is a great insight uh, into a someone who I think is very important around here um, and it has a lot of energy to help others um, and create community around the things he loves. So... I'm happy to celebrate that here, um, and and thank you for Colt for uh, coming over and having this chat with me. Thank you for listening. I hope you're well. Where do you put us knowing each other in your head? Because my first... I, I see like n- like knowing of you versus knowing my first like mm-hmm. yes. um my first like 
I kind of know this dude. Like I see, I see you. Like I see who you are. Was when I was caddying for Jason last year at the Yorktown tournament, and you were I was spotting. You were on spotting the. That was the long, first yeah. one I could see, like who Colt Carpenter is, if you know what I mean. Versus like just knowing like details about you. Yeah. So I would say. In retrospect, I remember you from that because I knew Jason. Yeah. Because of helping, he had when we started doing the Anderson course, he yeah had sort of stepped up to like help start the board. Uh huh. Yep. Um, and he had done stuff in Texas or whatnot, and yeah. Um, it was one of those like okay. I know who he is. Then you were uh-huh. there, because yep. um, you were on the bag for him. Yeah, I think for the whole day. Yeah, I just it was so cold that day. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was hilarious. Uh, and I was like, why am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where I was. Why am I spotting? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't because I didn't have hand warmers or anything. Yeah. Uh, luckily, Mike Penix. Uh, who's Wabash uh, Club like Cannonball? Yeah, he ended up and sees me like, and he like we're friends on some level, and he's like, "You need this more than I do." <laughs> <laughs> and so, but after that, um, I feel like it was probably like this winter or spring that like I really made the connection of who you were because yeah. like I don't get to Elwood to play as much yeah, as I'd yeah. like to. Uh, on Saturdays, and so I would come out, and I'd yeah. see, I'd see people, but... Yeah, so when know. the Anderson course went down, the, yeah. and y'all started doing more stuff over in Elwood, yep. that's when... Yeah, and that's, that's of course, when we became friends and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think, too, in that moment at that Yorktown thing was, as far as I remember, you and I were, like, the some of the only, like, ancillary people there, like, the people who weren't playing, mm-hmm. and I think I saw, like... Like real recognizes real. <laughs> we're out here because we love this. There's something yep. about this that we love, and we're like, we have that. Why are we here? But also, we're doing we're doing it because we care about this. And then I honestly, ha- I have to admit to you, uh, and I know this is totally says way more about me than it says about you. Is I was intimidated by you because at that time that was like right. At, I think that was probably that was like late spring, right? No, that was fall. That was fall. Of 2020? Yeah. 2019? 2020. 2020. Okay, so... Right? Yeah. Okay, that so was... This is 2021, yes. <laughs> I can't keep <laughs> but, so I'm But I'm, like, less than six months removed from my wife leaving me. So, like, you have this badass wife who plays disc golf with you. Like, you, I know the brewing thing. You're running a club. It's like... And I'm, like, falling apart. <laughs> and I'm like, this dude's awesome. Like, this dude has, like, the things I... This is what I thought my life was looking like and so again that says more about me but I, it was interesting that like there was a I don't know if it's intimidation or like a Im- imitation or in- intimidation plus envy but there's that there's that moment where I was like oh this is interesting this feeling and then of course we get to know each other and I it's funny to keep finding similarities like I found uh like our musical our music tastes seem to be similar because mm-hmm. I keep going to shows and you're like I thought about going to the show or like we're supposed <laughs> We're, tonight we're both supposed to be at the Charlie Crockett show separately. Um, yeah. So, and then we you have hardcore grow up as uh-huh. well. Yeah. So like, yeah. Which we were like, 
So how, how old? Are, <laughs> I, I'm, so I'm 34. I graduated high school in 06. I'll be 33 next year, next month, and I graduated in 07. Okay. So pretty similar. So I was down in Fishers. I went to Hamlin Southeastern. And I was here, yep. Yep. And so my come up in the hardcore scene was like Carmel Performing Arts yep. and... I remember like going down to oh, what's the the Emerson yeah. and though and Knights of Columbus would randomly have a show. See, mine was a little sketchier. Mine was like skate park in Kokomo, pool hall in Elwood, oh, yeah. pl- places like that. That you're like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be. <laughs> Did you ever go to? So in Kokomo, there was a. Uh, I went to one show up there. It was because it was me without you was the headliner. Like they were. Is the one that was in the weird like big community yes. center? Yeah, and they drove their bus into. Yeah. Because all of a sudden you turn around, there's a bus coming in. And then I think that was the one where like Aaron, the singer, end up and has a scarf. And he gets stuck up on, yeah. in the rafters, yeah. and he's just like jumping off of the drum kick. Yeah, and that was like the most people I've ever seen at like a show like that, and I was like. And I didn't go because I didn't go grow up going to like actual show. I went to like my buddy's band shows mm-hmm. like that, and so that was like the first because in the face of war guys that I knew knew them and yep. knew me without you. Um, interesting thing about me without you and that bus specifically is they had converted that bus to run off vegetable mm-hmm. oil, and I think that's fascinating. That's like one of my lifelong dreams is to live in a van, and I would love it to run off vegetable oil so I can just go to like Dairy Queen and be like, "Hey, can I have your vegetable oil?" <laughs> I have a one of my best friends. We like lived together in college, and he ended up in from Southern Indiana. He his parents like grew up on a farm. His dad was always into some uh-huh. like learning different things. And uh, Joe's his name. He I remember it was like freshman or sophomore year of college. It had to be freshman year. He had an old eighties car. I couldn't tell you what it was off the top of my head. That like had been converted. Yeah. To run off of biodiesel. That's so awesome. And so it was like, what are we doing? Like, <laughs> we took it up to Chicago for like for something. Did it work? Yeah. Like, like it, but it, you would also be able to just sub in diesel. It wasn't okay. So like, you're you're traveling. You can't filter your you stuff. Cool. Stuck. You could yeah, still. Yeah, yeah. At least that's how I understood it. But it was, it was so crazy. Just like riding in one, you're like, I don't know what. <laughs> how this works i don't want to skip ahead to the brewing stuff yet but like uh can you do that with like whatever's left over from the brewing process could you ever no use that for fuel i don't think so uh i mean <laughs> now, I'm just like, now you got me on one no i yeah. don't think so because there's i'm stripping the sugar out of the grain like there's still some residual leftover uh-huh. but it's best for uh, you know, pig or cow feed, chicken feed. Um, there's a there's actually a guy in the county who's growing uh, CBD hemp and stuff, and he's wanted to try to get some from me. To he does uh, worm farming as well. Oh, so okay. basically, to create compost. So some people will do that. Where yeah. they'll, they'll compost it, but um, grain wise, it's just you, you feed it to animals and. Well, at least he's getting a good second life. Um, Well, so the way, I guess, but the way I've gotten to know you is as leader, for lack of a better, leader of the Anderson Disc Golf Club. Yeah, Um, so I'm the president. president. I'm the president of the club. So far, the only president we've had. (laughs) 
Because I, oh, I keep saying... How many times in... How many... So we started the club in 17. Okay. So four years now? Four years running, baby. So I keep saying it's my stance on a lot of things. If you don't like what I'm doing, vote me out. Yeah, yeah. I've said that for two or three years. Well, and that's, like, the, set, that's the setup. Like, yeah. that's the... And it's set up in a good way. Um, but I think, just to butter your bread for a second, I think you do a wonderful job. Uh, and I know, Ashley, your wife does a lot of work, too, with it. And you guys tag team a lot of stuff, and I, lo- and I love that. Um, I was talking with uh, Zach Wilson... Mm-hmm. Uh, your your buddy and my buddy now uh, from the Anderson Disc Golf Club. We were talking about leadership or something. He has a new boss coming in or something. Yep. And we were talking about that, and I and I was talking about how I am a terrible leader because I can't find the middle ground between being too nice and being <laughs> and and being an asshole. Like I just jump straight. It's the bipolar thing. I jump straight from from I don't. I just don't have a good middle ground. Um, and I think that that's such a, that's the tricky spot is to like, like, this is how we do it while I'm in charge, but also I'm here for you. And also I care what you have to say. Like that middle ground is so tricky. So I, I, four years, you're probably getting it figured out though. I am. Um, there's times that it's like, I'd like to, you know, do something else, like step back from it. But at the same time, like I love the club. I love building something and you know uh creating and cultivating community through disc golf and growing the sport in this county um yes i chose i went to anderson for college i stuck around because i fell in love with like a broken down town yeah uh county (laughs) (laughs) and like i like convinced ashley to uh, stay there with me and it was one of those like we were doing different things and then I had no desire to ever play disc golf my buddy Paul got me into playing disc golf and yeah. took me to Elwood for my first time and what year was that? I, I was trying to think about this the other day and I think that I started playing in like 15 15 so not too far before you started all the stuff in Anderson yeah it was like 14 or 15 somewhere in there and then, like, he had given me and Zach and our buddy Ben some discs. Yeah. And Zach and I stuck with it more. Our buddy Ben comes out every once in a while. Yeah, but yeah. we then just, we didn't have a course in Anderson. There was the nine hole in Pendleton, the nine hole in LaBelle. Yep. And then it was the 18 still at Elwood. 18 at Elwood, And yeah. so we got to a point where we were either every weekend or every other weekend, just driving somewhere on a Saturday or a Sunday or both. Yeah. And just going and playing somewhere. And so then when we started putting the club in, that was something that I was like, no, I'm I'm on board for making this course and starting yeah. the club. And we, that's just my personality. That's it's what like, I let's was go. wondering. That's your, it seems to be kind of your thing. Like, you like, it's not just enough to exist within it. You have to like, I don't know. I'm not, and I don't mean this in any negative way. Like, there's a control, or like a, I can do this. I have something to contribute. Yeah, kind of vibe. Because I, I notice it in your, you know, it's this similar way with brewing. You kind of have to be the same way where you, kind of, especially with the smaller company, you know, with the smaller brewery or something like that. You, it's, you're, it's something that like when you said the 
intimidation concept or like envy whatnot. Yeah. yeah. Um, I my friends will even say because I fully embrace it. I'm an asshole. If I don't like what you have to say, I'm not going to take it. Yeah. But like, they also say, "But you're our asshole." Yeah. And so that's just sort of cult. Is I'm abrasive. I'm going to tell you my thoughts. Yeah. I'm not always right, and I know that. But I'm yeah. at least going to say, "Hey, this is where I'm at." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where like this is what I gotta say. If you don't like it, cool. Yeah. We can go with it. But that's also where I've had several people like tell me that. When they first met me, that they were there was like intimidation or like standoffishness, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, I don't try to be standoffish. But like I, I just s- like get yeah. in these places where it's like, hey, um, I'm I'm here focused right now, so like I can't really talk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's mm-hmm. one reason I want to get you here is because this is the first time we've ever seen each other not at a disc golf course. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And and usually when we're at a disc golf course, one or both of us is doing something important. Um, but but pretending, no, pretending like we're doing. Something but important. it's still disc golf. It's, <laughs> I, well, as Maya said the other day, I yes. think it's very important. It is. Um, it, it's that it's. I think that at times it for a league it can be taken way too serious at times. Oh, it's yeah. not necessarily the functioning of the league and making it happen that's the not important. It's the we're still throwing pieces of plastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that that's what I always have to bring myself back to. Like, I it, why am I frustrated? For sure, for sure. You know, it's, yeah, like, it's the, humbling. For if anything else, I let think it be the humbling. the macro of it is really important. Like yes. the the structure of it is really important. The yeah, the score doesn't is it, like one of is so far down on my list, um, and I I think it should be. But no, I think like I said, I think it says more about the other person. Too, when they say something like your personality like they're intimidated or something because like i think because of that like i say you are one of the people like i say what i think kind of thing good or bad and i think that can people can be intimidated by that but i don't think that necessarily means you're intimidating i think it means mm-hmm. that people who are like in the situation i was who my ego was pretty fragile back then so like it makes sense that i of someone who's opinionated that i might be a little you know i get that or um you know we we get some fragile egos in the disc golf community so i think sometimes we can uh uh and i again that's not a negative thing it's just the way it is but one thing i do love about you is that you your crit any sort of like criticism or observations are always backed up with a willingness to work like you know, like something at the Elwood course isn't how you like it. We're, we're was like, well, what are we going to, and you and I, I think that's another where we met in mutual territory was like when we were getting ready for the MCL, the recent <clears throat> tournament. And we were talking about like things that need to be done. I just, I played that round with you and you told me like, man, that tree, something needs to happen with that tree. And, you know, I pointed out like those spools that were yep. sitting out there and so i just went there the next day and cut the tree up and move the spools and it's like versus like it's not all talk it's action as well so that's yeah i, I find, think that's what also makes you a good leader probably. i find um for me there's this big thing of like doing and uh-huh. taking responsibility like if i if i see something you know at elwood so for the Madison County Open, it was, you know, talking to Aaron and 
who I listened to your podcast with him. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, yeah. enjoyed that one. Yeah, um, but it was one of those that it, it was, he just got to a point as well because he had a lot going on that he's like, I trust you. If you want something, if you yeah. think that something needs done, you yeah. have permission. Like, yeah. Because he knows also, I'm not going to go and like, let's reshape this fairway. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's yeah, take yeah. this tree that yeah. I always hit. Because there's, it goes to Anderson as well. There's, there's been things there that people have wanted to remove or, hey, let's do this. And I'm like, is it because you want the hole to be easier or is it because it's something that needs done? Yeah. Because... Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. There, you know, I'm all down for let's do some work. I'm also, if I'm always hitting that tree, maybe I need to be a better player. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of not hitting, instead of cutting this tree down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably also me, like... I try to respect the earth as much as I can, and I understand how long it takes for a tree to grow. So I'm yeah, like, why yeah. would I cut that thing out if it doesn't need to? And you can't, and you can't, re- like, you can't replace it in the same way. You can like plant a little tree, yep, but it, there's no undo button. <laughs> like yep. once you cut a tree down, it's like a look. Like we're looking out here at the window at my family's farm, mm-hmm. and this land has just been decimated by my grandfather who thankfully left this land to me but like this was all tree like there used to be a woods back there he knocked all that down to have a couple more acres of farmland he you know he knocked a couple trees on the property down so he could have more farmland closer Mm -hmm. to and it's like yeah but you can't get those back man (laughs) industrialization of the country yeah it's 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 those movements that Hey, I could take this and knock it out, and I can up my production two percent. Well, great. I completely am cool with upping production. However, did we need to? Because also now what? we're getting soil de- like de- degradation. Yes, absolutely. And all of those things. So. so yeah. So when you were, so you put in that course over there. So. You were. Did you design the Anderson course? Who no. designed the Anderson? Uh, course? didn't. So. Uh, Levi Rinker and Phil Larson uh, were the main driving force behind getting the course uh, built. Okay. Um, Phil had never played disc golf. Liked the concept of it. Wanted to see something happen. Uh, his grandparents had sort of raised him and you know the family to be outside people and do things and so when they passed that's why it's sanders memorial that was their last name and so he had put in money to name it that but also was the driving force of hey how do we do this and levi works for the city in the uh i can't think of the term right now but he basically helps bring in new projects to get to get different things going on yeah Uh, like city development yes yeah and so Levi was working for the city, but then also was sort of doing it separate as well because he's helping push for certain parts. So they had approached the parks department uh, and the parks board and sort of got it to be passed. There was also then the Army Corps of Engineers because we're on a levy and that was a whole thing. Um, but... They had then reached out to, or Dennis Byrne had reached to them. I'm not sure. He's he's designed several courses in the area. He sure. did the Tipton Church course. Heartland? Yep. Over there? 
Yeah, the nine hole. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I believe that was one of his. He's played a part in Fall Creek and Hazel and As I say, I've all, seen his name all, around yeah. a lot. So he's he's a course designer and they had reached out to him and he designed the bulk of it and then uh, Jeff Collins, who was is was from Anderson but is an indie guy. Okay. Um, he ended up and then they had had him up to look at some stuff like, Hey, what do you think? And then it was Hey, let's change a couple of these things and okay, cool. And then we went in and started installing, and then you do, you know, uh, hole eleven, for instance. There was no plan to put a rock there and drill a hole in a rock and put the basket <laughs> in a yeah, rock. Yeah. But we found this giant rock, and it was like, oh, that'd be really cool if we could take it over there and then figure out how to drill a hole in a rock and yeah, set this in there. That was a project, but it was fun yeah. and sort of made it something that wasn't initially intended. So the, it sounds like y'all, meaning the Anderson Disc Golf Club, kind of put the finishing touches. Uh, like you were there, obviously, yeah. but but like so it went through several stages of like. I'd say that's a good and good way to you process guys made that. Yeah. Your your own, yeah. Because I was wondering, I I never been to that place i've never been to that park before it was a disc golf course so what did you was there a lot to do as far as i know some of those wooded holes probably clearing out mm-hmm. um uh, but so the biggest things for clearing out like as far as what actually had to get cut i remember the day that we were that we set pins in ground we set pins in ground probably four or five months before we if not more, before we were even open. But okay. Like, before we had pads in or anything, because we knew where they were going. Yeah. Um, the whole eight had a little bit of tree work, uh, like tree clearing, but it was whole nine. Whole nine uh, used to be just straight little, little tiny guys. Yeah. And it was just all volunteers. Um, Dan Hiles, who... It runs Kettle Top Bar in Anderson and has his hands in several other things. He had come out for the day and helped cut some stuff. Uh, we'd had tons of people just, hey, you're focusing on this while we're focusing over here yeah. and doing these other parts of this project. Yeah. And, um, I'd say we we put everything from, we probably installed and cut and did everything for the initial thing in I'd say six months. We they had everything sort of laid out. They had started the fundraising, and had an initial interest meeting in like January. So they had already had most of it by then, uh-huh. January or February of seventeen. And then we just went and got all the funding, put it all in, and all that. And we mm-hmm. had had help from I can't think of their names, but they were a part of one of the like fraternity social club things okay uh or something like that i can't think of what they're called they do the organizing events and they, yeah, they yeah. help out doing they help fund projects and things like that cool uh yeah so you know when you're looking back on a big project like that there's always things i'm sure that pop up that like oh i wish i would have done it this way i wish I... is there anything that like from that initial putting in those original 18 that you wish you would have known or you wish you would have done differently? Or like even like a hole placement or something? 
you always wish you could know what was going to fall or what was going to get, right. you know, yeah, yeah. what was going to die sooner than what you expected. Yeah, yeah. Um, but other than that, I'd say, like, hole three uh, was, there was a short pin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there was the, what we end up calling the medium pin. And the short pin was literally the most ace runnable hole and it was just, we're not, like, we didn't like putting it there. It just wasn't a fun shot. It yeah, was, yeah. It was there, but then a tree would come down, so then the little bit of challenge that was there, it just, the only challenge was don't throw it OB. And yeah, instead yeah. of, you know, let me actually have to shape a shot. Yeah. But the intention of that park initially was to be a wreck to intermediate playing course. Yeah. Which it still ultimately before the the project that has shut us down there came through, it was there. There were you know it could challenge an advanced player some. Yep. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't the course challenging more so condition challenging is the best way I could put uh-huh. it because we would because we were we're right on the White River the wind would swirl. Wind. So I always loved... Especially with the levee, too. Yeah. Yeah. And it would swirl, and, like, we would always joke, oh, always a headwind. Like, you'd maybe get two tails the whole 18. But it was one of my favorite things because I would... We'd get some of the Elwood guys to come over randomly, and players who could destroy me at Elwood, the wind doesn't exist as much in those woods. Like, it's got to be pretty bad for it to really swirl through there. And even then, you're not. It's it's only on those couple open holes yep. that it'll tear you apart. That's the biggest thing I missed about this year's MCO was the duality mm-hmm. of the two courses because it was so it was so challenging and so fun to play to like play Elwood and you know and that's my style and then go over there and have to open up a little more yep. and have to remember the wind reading wind and all that and that just yeah it made. Those two together being in Madison County are great. And I so I want to talk about, because I think they're, you know how things happen. Where, oh, time out. Sorry. Oh, yeah. With that, though. Yeah, please. On th- with three, what we ended up and did, because that's how it started. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it was about a year, year and a half in, and I knew what our work limits were for the levy, uh, for what we could and couldn't do with the Army Corps. So what we ended up and kept looking at this at hole three, and it was like, it'd be really nice to put a longer pin in and we were doing a work day anyways and i sort of looked at everything long enough and talked with the other officers and uh other club members that were like extremely active and it was what if we drop one right here and that's what actually became the long pin there okay was because when it's something that i'm starting to figure out and trying to design courses is you gotta you gotta plan for now, but you also have to plan for next year or two or three years from now. Yeah. So what you think might be there now, yeah, might change because if that tree falls, if you know, once you thin out those bushes and people play it, uh-huh. is that really yep. still something? Yep. Uh, so we pushed it probably eighty foot or so, maybe not, maybe sixty seventy, but. You had to do more of a shape shot because yeah. you were going, you either had to throw a straight pure shot that couldn't drift over out of, like, out of bounds, or you had to 
shape the shot that Eston came in and would stick. And, uh, you know, people always, it's one of the things I love about disc golf is people always try to hack the course. You know, <laughs> you try to, how do I break it? Like, oh, look, I can play this skip shot on this yeah, path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then flare in. Yeah. And I love thinking about it because as a player, it's always, I'm trying to think, how can I break this hole down and yeah. make a two that's yeah. easy now That's for what me. makes Elwood so fun is because you can play with 15 different people and they have 15 different shots yep. on a single hole. Uh, and some of the shots I see, I'm just like, well, it, yeah. like this year, for the uh, pros for uh, MCO, uh-huh. Josh Fortney ended up in one. But what happened was they're coming down. He's down by a stroke to Zach Arlingas, uh-huh. the, the traveling pro yeah. that was in. And I've never seen this throw. I've played that course more than... What hole was it? 18. 18. They finished on 18. They were lead card, uh-huh. so they started on one. Yeah. I still didn't see it, but he described to me what he did, and I'm like, I've never saw seen that line. He throws a forehand, like Annie shot uh-huh. on 18. Yeah, for a right hand player, and like I'm like inside, like super inside or way out, like way out, and it and just then comes around. And I like as someone who's predominantly forehand, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, that yeah, just yeah. breaks my brain because of all the times I've played it. And then I was talking to Chris Dixon, who's a Hamilton guy, he's like, oh, yeah, that's my play there. I was like, how did I not ever that's, see this? Because I don't play with you guys there. So I've yeah, never yeah. – I just see it as, oh, look, it's a standard right-hand backhand. Everyone just throws it back. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But you you can find those fun things like that. Yep. Um, for sure. But, yeah, the thing I was going to say was um, I, I wanted to talk – I wanted to give you a chance to kind of explain what's going on with Anderson because – you know how it gets where it's like mm-hmm. I've heard eight different things and I I even don't know if I know the right like and yep. so timeline and like all that stuff so so what's going on so the Anderson course was at I can't even it was remember. it was at Edgewater Park which was tenth yeah. and time, but time what when did they yeah so they started so I've been hearing about this project for a year year and a half two years somewhere in that. And I would just constantly ask, like, hey, any update, any update, any update. And what this project is, is a drainage, they're collecting drainage and rainwater is the big part of it. Because they've been doing this for probably coming up on eight to ten years throughout the city. So starting uh-huh. at Rabel Park, like Rabel, where there's a little parking lot for the trail system, uh-huh. and then they worked their way back, and we are the longest section that they are doing at one time. So it goes from Edgewater Park to Scatterfield Road, which is a mile stretch. Wow, yeah. Uh, at least that's what I've understood from like the length of that they're taking here. So it's to help collect rainwater to not just overflow uh, the current sewer system areas, but also to not get into the river. Yep. So hopefully in some facet this helps because we flood a good amount. Yep. Um, so they started, we, we were told they can't cut anything down from, it's like October 31st to... May 1st or something or May 31st 
Or no, that's when they can. No, that they can't. They they have got a timeline that they could and couldn't do certain things. Okay. Because there's a bat population. Okay. And so FDR, uh, not FDR, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, River people, DNR, DNR. Uh, they end up and are in. They had to give permitting to this and make certain things happen. Yep. So it was, hey, on this date you can start cutting, but also you can't. You got to be done cutting by this date. Okay. And so it was this whole project that they, I literally found out, hey, it's going to be, they're going to start next week or two weeks, something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, it was probably given a month, really. But so that meant then we had to figure out what we were doing with baskets that were in the line of where they were going through. We've got benches out there, so we pulled all of those. We pulled the T signs that were out there for those holes. Yeah. Um, we repositioned the baskets on the course. Yeah. In hope that we could continue to play out there, and then we then got told, no, you can't continue to play out yeah. there. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know in actual timeline of when they're going to be done. I was told it would be nine to twelve months that it, the project would be completed and the ground would be reclaimed. So so ideally in, in a year, like... So ideally this winter to next spring. This winter to next spring, okay. Um, the, But I've not gotten an actual official update recently. Because by uh, summer, would, like to have it all put back together by summer obviously would be yeah. ideal. And there's part of it that's, okay, we've got to redesign some things we've got to... Yeah do certain aspects to, you know, they took that, they took down probably a hundred trees, I'd say. They're kind of on the front nine? Uh, so it was everything from 14 through four. Yeah. So everything on the river side. Along that walk, there's yeah. that walking path yep. there. So yeah. it was basically through that. So, um, a lot of the trees, you know, we'll never see those again because they were, there was one... Yeah, they were so old. There yeah. was one, I think... Uh, I want to say it was a cottonwood, but I don't think it actually was. It was some giant that was had to be 120 yeah. plus years. They left the other one that's on the same hole, but it was inside their work limits by five foot. So instead of like, oh, we don't need to take that out, they just dropped a tree that you'll never be able to get again you never uh, yeah we'll never see that yeah <laughs> tree again uh well this is one thing i want to point out too to folks listening is that a lot of people are have misconceptions about disc golf courses and they're like oh it's in a park so it must be the parks department takes care of everything but stuff like you just mentioned moving pads or moving baskets moving moving benches moving sign like that is work that people like you are doing uh in the same way with the elwood course and that's why i tried to emphasize in that essay last week of like these are people mm-hmm. who are like diy labor of love that yes sometimes they get tied up in parks departments and they get help out in that way and they get maybe mow because like does the parks department mow all that i'm imagining the parks mows however we come out and we do trimming, trimming and string yeah. trimming so like so much trim, is done by the clubs yep and so I just don't think people realize that sometimes. Well, and then when um, COVID hit last year, the parks department was, well, we're closing golf courses. So then that then fell into they're closing the disc golf course. Oh. So then it was, oh, 
Colt, we need to pull baskets. And it's like, okay, um, where, where do you want me to put them? <laughs> that became, I'm putting them in my garage. But I also was able to then get the parks department to give me a couple of their employees that also had, tra- like, they had trailers and trucks. So we were able to, I just went through and unlocked the baskets, they put them on okay. trailer, drive them to my house. So you did get to them collaborate in. with them a little. But and and so with this project, they'll also then it's supposed to be that we get to say, hey, this is where we would like some tr- trees. So for every tree they cut cut down, we are supposed to get three trees to replace it. Okay. So I have joked to some extent. It's a joke, but I have joked at least. And said, I'm going to litter that property with trees because why not? Like, yeah. No. You don't know what's gonna what's gonna what's gonna what's survive, gonna, all that. Yeah. Um we I've got a good relationship with the arborist for the town. And so we've gotten trees from them before, but cool. These will be like bluegrass farms will like they'll go through them and some other vendors to be awesome. able to get some some trees. So Yeah, so what so what are you excited about it? Out of the tragedy of the course getting knocked down and those trees taken out, it sounds like there's some hope in like in getting some new things put and maybe redoing some things or stuff like that. Uh, yeah. So there's the ho- I mean the hope is just that we can get 18 holes back in the ground. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's the ultimate. Okay, um, well, I'm over here trying to be. I would say. Just the couple little redesigns and the couple, okay, what if we, in this concept of litter the park with trees, like, we use them for some issue, some trouble spots that we've seen where it's like, errant shots can go, will drift this way, so then we can try to create tree lines that will block other or paths. Or like a walking and, path. Yep. Yeah. And so, we're gonna, we're, I've sort of taken it and like, sketched a couple ideas out for what it would be nice to see for a repurposing of some of those holes and the land we'll see what ends up happening because all of it right now is also i only have a base idea until i can get back in there uh-huh. to them wrapping up at least through the park section to be able to see yeah. okay this is this pad was destroyed yeah because they'll it's re- conceptual now <laughs> yep they're yeah. they're going to replace pads and after some conversation of describing it like a golf course that if you were to do a project like this, you wouldn't necessarily design the hole the exact same way. Yeah. Because if that ball golf course had trees in the fairway shaped left and uh-huh. now you cut those trees down, well, the hole's not the same. Yeah. And so that's essentially what we're doing is, okay, well, we're going to redesign how this works. Yep. And it'll be similar shots for those. Uh, I think it'll just be curating some tighter lines and trying to make things that will you know it's not going to be perfect right away but it's the what do we do for the next 10 years yeah and it sucks to have to be doing it this close to you know we're we only really had the course in ground for three and a quarter years yeah and so then now we're at this like normally you get like five to ten fifteen years before you gotta like you'll run into something yeah yeah the other benefit to it has been uh, getting away from the course and traveling for our leagues has been nice. And 
gets us to play some other things, which we would do whenever we flooded. But the other nice aspect of it that I'm really enjoying is the being able to reach out to Pendleton and trying to get them to let us yeah. go in there and and redesign that and put in 18 holes versus the old nine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Crossroads United Methodist had reached out to me to yeah, design and nine. And, and, yeah. um, and all I've heard is great things. Like, it's not the perfect design, but for the land that I have at the moment, it's what I really... Was that your first design? Yes. Yeah. And that was my next... You you must have read my list because that, ne- that was my next thing. I was talking about... Because out of this came this nine hole at Crossroads. You know, like... Because yep. there is this hunger, you know, from... People like you had a lot of Anderson Anderson area people, and yeah, of course they like coming to Elwood or they like going to Dillon or something like that. But in Noblesville, but like it's still for people who live who live mm-hmm. there. I'm sure that's like this one. So at least there's a place now. It's yes, it's nine holes. Yes, it's a little more open. But you, I think you did like with what, what with what you had. It like you made the most of it. Appreciate that. Yeah. It was, well, and it, came, goal, right? it came together really quick. They call, uh, Troy, who's a uh, trustee for them, he's one of our club members. He had reached out on a Tuesday. Ashley and I went over there on a Thursday. They bought Innova Baskets on Friday. Oh, man. So I they were sent, going home. Yeah, like that Thursday night, I had laid out, like, okay, here's sort of what I'm seeing. They printed it out, had it ready for their church service on Sunday. Yeah. Because they're a church of a lot of older people. Yeah. Um, I think that Troy had said at one point the average age of their attendees is 70 years old. Okay. So they're, he had also set it up to me as far as we, uh, the thought was, okay, we're either going to build a gym or we're going to do a disc golf course. Something that, you know, they can and, be active and in. he was able to like say like let like look, we can draw people here yeah. because of this and it gets more people on our property instead of oh hey, we have a gym. Yeah. You know, there's tons of churches that have gyms and yeah. they don't get utilized how they should. Yeah. And so that was a, a fun thing and I actually got together with them Tuesday. Ashley and I met with them cuz there's talk of the of expanding and yeah. uh, doing some things like that, and they had someone had uh, we think with the retirement center there had mowed uh, had at least bush hogged some of that grass down that was really tall. Okay. So then it's like okay, cool. I can actually like walk this and see instead of just like relying on like what I can see, but it's tall grass. Can't see what land features yeah, are. Yeah. Uh, satellites, satellite imaging only does so much for you until you can actually be for out sure. on it. Yeah. And he said that they've literally had so many people. They were out the night prior. They're trying to figure out how to put lights on the baskets and stuff. And it would be a pretty fun globe place. Yeah, it sure. would be a lot of fun. Because uh, that's all the old Boca Real course, I don't golf know. course. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. So the, that was that. Yeah, property. that's why some yep. of those on the at later holes have that. So that was the old, it was an old GM, I don't think you had to be from GM, but like, from what I've gathered, a whole bunch of the GM guys, because it was, I think it was open all, like, 24 hours, or at least a good amount of the day. Oh, wow. It was lit up, so like, if it was dark, you could still play. Oh, wow. And so there are, if you actually look, you'll see like, there's telephone poles just running through areas, and so the pastor actually said, 
I really want to light this up. And I was like, that'd be super cool because I would love to fun. play disc golf. And that'd be so different. Yeah, yeah, so unique. And and so they're they're seeing a big tick up. They they're trying to get some you know AU kids to start going there. And yeah, I'm sure we're gonna get onto religion and all that stuff at some point. But like, I like seeing them trying to engage with people and get them to you know hey at least come be a part of our property like yeah yeah well you know there's this thing about church courses and you've probably seen this where they're either really incredible or really awful as disc golf courses yes because so i'm glad that they reach out to you and got your club involved and got your expertise involved and all that because because what so often happens i've seen at other church courses where they're like okay we have eight grand or ten grand or whatever for wreck stuff and someone says we should do a disc golf course and they throw up nine holes and they crisscross and there's it's just flat and there's nothing going on yep and it's like this was a waste of disc golf baskets when we you could have made uh and then and then i've played some there was one in Austin called it was called uh, Austin Bible Ridge Church. It was it was a mega church, but behind then they had this hill country. Like one of the tallest points you could see was on their property, mm-hmm. and they built this incredible, like just rolling. It had short pads and pro pads, and it was just someone who knew what they were doing put it in. But they had people out there all the time, and yeah, and it just. Oh, it's it, just like Dillon, or not Dillon, the hill in the Northview, yep. uh, or Fall Creek. Yep. That, and I'm pretty positive those are both Dennis Byrne yeah. designs, or at least like They're great initial... Cor- I played Fall Creek yesterday. That course. I have not played the new nine, but I... <laughs> yeah, I'll I'm, show you my scorecard when we're done. <laughs> I'm, I've heard the, I've was, heard the, the horrors. I was uh, six down... After 18, after the normal, Solid. the 18, and then after the extra nine, I was plus three. Yep, sounds about <laughs> right. That's everything I've heard of. I like. gave up nine strokes and nine holes, and um, and yeah, and that, but that's that's the way that works. But yeah, those are great examples of. I'm glad to see that church courses are like, churches are being like, oh, let's talk to disc golfers. And invite them, and it it is like it is this invitation, and you know, yeah, and we'll definitely talk about religion and stuff. But like, one of the good uses of church is as an invit as an invitation. Right? Mm-hmm. Here's a free community meal. Here's here's this thing we're doing, and it's not about proselytizing. It's not about evangelizing. It's about community, which is what the core of yep Jesus. What you know. Like come here and let me feed you, or come here and let me tell you the story, or come, you know, and that kind of work um, is so important. Um, but yeah, I love I love that course. I highly I already am recommending it to people because it's like go over there and play. You can play. I like nine hole courses because I'm like, if I'm in the area, I can play nine holes real quick, or I can play it two three times. Yep, it's it's well. Fun. And I ran into a buddy out there who's a pro player, uh, and he was like. Yeah, I, I like what you did here, but the thing that I like the most is it's open and I can play safari stuff. And I can actually, you like, can, he's yep. like, I don't have to, like, try to fight to hit 450. I can just, like, cool, let me rip something. There is nothing in my way. Yeah. Or, you know, let me figure out how to shape this shot to get from here, point A to point B. Yeah. And, 
it was one of those things I figured that would be something that someone does, but it's it was nice to hear the the like look, I like yes. it's beneficial to me as a player as well because I can just have a field, but I also have a basket to throw at. Right. All right. But yeah, you know, so there's that new crossroads, so this new crossroads church and it just and then um Dave McPherson had put in as putting in this course over in Frankton and there's nine holes there now. So it makes me think about the future of Madison County disc golf and I know it's something you and I have talked about a lot and you mentioned Pendleton possibly expanding to 18. You know, there's always been rumors of people trying to get something started in Alexandria, you know, Lapel has that nine, which I've never been to, but I don't know if that's something that could be, exp- so there's like, but there is a possibility that like, there are five, mm-hmm. 18 old courses in, within the next five or so years and in, that's, in this county. Yeah. I, and for a county this size and with this kind of, and that's what I mentioned in that essay was, though it's not always backed by money, there's always an enthusiasm in places like this and in places that are struggling in some ways uh to there's always enthusiasm for things that will get people together and mm-hmm. get people out and get people active and give them positive spaces to go and in all my experiences disc golf courses have been nothing but positive experiences um and and so so that makes me really excited for especially for i mean of course we want more women and children getting involved but it is a special thing for men to get together in this way it doesn't happen a lot like men as they get older and especially in rural communities or towns like this they get separated and that's where the some of the bad shit happens or some of um the bad choices come out of um where this camaraderie and this like just like i mentioned the essay just people text me like hey i didn't see it league tonight you all right like just stuff like little things like that just matter and, and I think for me, it's more, it's, it's not, there's no sex involved in this. For okay. Me. It's, um, as far as I want community to be like, so it's not just, I want guys out. Like you said, of course. No, we yeah, want, yeah, yeah. but like the more that you can have people together, uh-huh. the more I can understand you, you can understand me. Yep. We can at least leave some things in the car and go play around. Yep. And I can, there are people that I have probably some pretty fundamental disagreements with <laughs> yeah. that like, I have no problem being on a card with. No. Because we, uh, we have a mutual understanding and yeah. a mutual respect for one another on the course. Now, sure. Is there times that, things get said on it <laughs> and are there times i've called some people out for some bullshit yeah. yeah 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 because i also don't stand i don't stand for you doing bullshit like yeah yeah you want to bring that here we're gonna, that's I'm gonna not tell what you, this is for i'm gonna tell you yeah. that's not okay yeah let's uh let's change that behavior and ashley my wife is great at it like she'll she's shut some shit down and it's fantastic I caught the other day I was playing with Ashley and I, I called myself a dum dum after missing a putt and she gave me a whole lecture about being nice to myself. <laughs> yep. And I was like, Ashley, dum dum was me, me being nice to myself. <laughs> I wanted to say more. Um, but yeah. No, but that is 
that's great. And yeah, of course you have to do that. But my my thing with it is just like it's the it's the old field of dreams. The build if you build it, they will come. Yep. Kind of vibe and like it. Yeah, and it. Yeah, it's just it's aw- It's so awesome to see. Um, uh, yeah, and that just gets me excited about things like the tournament you run the Master County Open, which we just had, um, and we you had to do it at Elwood, and when normally it's Elwood and Anderson, but the you know the the idea of like, whoa, if there's four, say there's Pendleton, Frankton, Anderson, and and Elwood, and you you did it like you could, there's just so many possibilities of how and where you could put people in in you know the different divisions, mm-hmm. and you could just. It just gives so many more people the opportunity to play it because yep. it always fills up. So that's just, those kind of things are just exciting. Um, and then, uh, but I think it's also related to the success that you've had with those MCOs. And so the question I kept thinking of is like, I've never ran a, I've you know I I run the Saturday doubles, but I've never ran an actual tournament. And how do you judge a tournament like when a tournament is successful? Because they're filling up, so. So that's a success in and of itself. But how do you know, like, that went really, like, that went really, you said to me, like, you know, for all the not having Anderson and not all that, it went really well. You told, like, yeah. so how how do you know that? How, how do is I, that a feeling? It's a feeling. It's uh, the seeing players come off the course, and even mm-hmm. though, you know, players might not like, Elwood or might not like Anderson or wherever <laughs> right, right. because of whatever the the attitude the that they have is still they they can they recognize that the event was well run yeah and that they can very much like they they're like not disappointed that they chose to spend their money doing this yes uh, it's to step back a little bit from that, it's sure. it's one of those for me like in the welcoming of people into disc golf and into the community. It's like I I want sure I want I want men to be a part of it, but I want women and kids, and I want if you look at our sport, it's mostly white people, and, yep. and more and more it's getting to be better like more well off. Um, oh, it's, and and so yeah. I I am a huge at my core belief like I'm a huge advocate for the downtrodden for the person yeah. who's like not given a home and yeah. I want to I want them to be feel welcome yeah and you know so for me like that in the in the building of the of the grand side of it it's like cool I like you but like. They need this. Yep. I'm not saying you don't as well, but there's people that aren't given that in this society that I want to at least in some small way in the disc golf community, like give someone an equal place to everyone else. Yeah. For the, for the event and like running, telling, being able to tell like how, like was this successful? It's very much, it's from a tournament side of it. It's, Okay, did I hear complaints about like issues in, you know, backups and other things like that? Were there, you know, did we have people not show back up for their second round? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
and that that happens at Elwood at times because it's like it's so frustrating. Yeah, so frustrated. I, screw it, I'm done. Yeah, like, but it's also okay. What what was the like in trying to like understand what was the reasoning? What's the yeah? You know, they're is it about them or is it about the tournament? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and. And that's the thing is it's like trying to run successful events. Uh, I had, I've done events like through college and even in high school and stuff. And so like I was sort of like always like trying to throw something and do something. And Ashley, that's part of her career is special event planning. Yeah. And so like we, I would say, have a high expectation. Yeah, hers is, hers yeah. is higher than mine. Um, <laughs> But I also am like, no, I want this to go off really well and yeah. to be successful. And that's that's sort of how I judge it. Like, did people have a good time and not just because they were playing around? Like, mm. was it – did we did we have the course prepped? Did people like what we did? Did the layout flow well? Did yeah, all yeah. of these things. So that's how I I really think about that one. Yeah. Well, I for me as a player, I always think of it as, was I able to just concentrate on the playing of the disc golf instead of being distracted by all these other things? Like, I don't know where my tee assignment is. I don't, you know, like if, or are we teeing up or, oh my God, I went to lunch and they, you know, supposed to be an hour, but some, for some reason they want me back in a half, you know, like yep. I've had that happen where I'm like sitting at lunch and it's like, Tios in 25 minutes like what happened <laughs> like you know like uh and in moments like where i i can just concentrate on the you know mm-hmm. the disc off of it um and yeah and it certainly has been that way uh well speaking of events i wanted to kind of transition to the brewing aspect because you're a brewer as well um is you guys over at pax Ferrum just had the way out beer fest yes how'd that go pretty good were you uh, involved with that much in this year's planning i wasn't like i gave some input gave some thought uh-huh. but i so this is just, something you've done before this fest and this was our first year because we were supposed to do it last year okay. covid hit and ruined mm-hmm. everything um so we the initial idea was that it would be like a late spring event um uh, sometime you know late april early may but where everything was this year still at that time, we were like, let's try to push off a little bit longer. Mm, and fair. so we had rescheduled for August. And Yeah. So what's the idea behind the, this festival? So one of the slogans that PAX has is we're, we're out there. Yep. What that's partially based on is we're not near a large population like we're not in the middle of a city we're <laughs> yeah, in yeah. lapel yep. we are in madison county it's gonna be 30 yep. minutes from indy yep. you know depending on where you're at but we're out there yeah but okay. also we do some you know we do a lot of hazy ipas and we do a whole bunch of just different things that you know that's sort of the other part of it yeah, where we're we're not just not afraid gonna, to experiment. Yeah, we're not just going to be a cookie cutter, whatever. Now, I still make pilsners, I still make standard IPAs and yep. pale ales and whatever. But there's always something like we we try to step out of just standard comfort. 
Yes. Uh, which is hard to do also to some extent in beer anymore. I mean, I have no desire and probably won't do like an overly fruited like slushy beer like 450 North does. That's not something I care to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good on them. They've made a business out of yeah. it. I don't care to do that. I still want to make beer that at the end of the day is beer. Yeah. If you like that stuff, that's fine on you. I get a kick out of opening a can, tasting it, and then pouring it down the drain and recording it for <laughs> Instagram. It makes me giggle. I don't even know what this is you're talking It's like a, sl- so, you a slushy beer? Yeah, there's this whole styling where it's like super overly fruited beer. So not, it's not sours. Like- well, sometimes they will sour it as well. Okay. But it's not a it's not traditional sours, it's okay. not anything like that. It's basically think of I have base beer that is beer and then if I add some fruit to it, cool, it's a fruit beer. And then let's take that fruit beer and multiply the amount of fruit we did in that a hundred times. I love your passion about this or a passion against this. <laughs> and it's it's one of those like cool People like them. It's gotten people into craft beer. There's a cat in your driveway. Oh, yeah, that's Melba. Okay. <laughs> it's trying to or find shelter of, for the upcoming one, storm. One of Melba's friends. But they uh, they they do these these things that, you know, sure, it got people interested in beer, and sometimes they'll vary in, out into other styles. Yeah. But it's not something I have ever cared for uh i want beer to still be beer even if it's a fruit beer i'm going to do it in a certain fashion do you find that the your favorite beers to drink are also your favorite beers to brew or or is there is there ever like a differentiation there like you know like because a lot of times like in writing we talk about like writing the thing that you want to read sure and so are you is that what you're kind of doing are you are you trying to brew the thing you want to drink or are there some things that like are really fun to brew that you're not actually that into like the taste of you know what i'm saying so the brewing is it's a hard it's a hard uh, connection for me because sure it's what i'm literally my job is to take and convert sugar in the grain or starches in the grain to sugar yeah and then balance that sweetness out with hops yeah and then i'm done i don't do i don't make alcohol i make wort i am a producer of what we call in my industry wort the yeast does everything else now that said if i don't hit certain things it could or i do certain things it could taste like absolute shit yeah but you know i don't my my preferred is i'm making belgian beers german beers things like that uh i to some extent have made a career off of making hazy ipas yeah it's something that's got a lot of good it's something that for me i've when i was a home brewer i learned some of the base stuff of it and it was that was it was really charging like coming up heavy when i was still home brewing yeah and so i didn't necessarily brew them a lot i would brew them randomly but because it wasn't my favorite thing to drink either yeah but i then started working at breweries and learning different things and being able to sort of layer them on top of each other so that way i could understand oh hey if i do this 
with this at this time and in this fashion yeah. it'll and and I'm still learning. I so, I don't know how to I don't know everything about it, but I'm like I said, I feel like I generally made a career off of that. However, I'm also told I, you know, and I know I make really good lagers. I make good dark beers. I make mm-hmm. good ever like other things, but there's definitely things I don't like making because I don't care to drink them. But yeah. it's still at the same time like I love to just brew and it's a process. That's awesome. Like that's the thing that got me into it and at the really got me hard was well, the first thing was the smells. The smells just it, it's just so crazy and it it has a whole lot of connection into like what drew me in but the other part of it is like at the end of the day it was oh it's literally a process and a Uh process that like pretty much every single time i'm doing the exact same thing Mm -hmm. and so it helps my adhd just be able to like look we can just roll and Sure, there's distraction still and other things, but yeah, it's, yeah. if I can do these, if I can hit these benchmarks, yep. I know I'm converting starch to sugar. Yeah. I know then that I will rinse that grain yeah. and collect these things. I will be at this sugar amount. It sounds very scientific, right? Because, I mean, it, so... It is. So, my, so one of my, you're kind of answering one of my questions is I was wondering if... Do you see it as an art or a science? And it, I get asked that a lot. I figured you did. And I, I think it's because I think I imagine some people have different answers. I think at one point early on, I would have told you art. Uh-huh. Um, anymore, it's definitely it's uh, it's a, it's more science. It's process. You think it's, that's because of the scale too? Because you're mm, coming out of home brewing versus working for. I think it's being in my industry for yep. five or so years kind now, of the profe- like six the years. professionalization of it. Yeah, and yeah. understanding more of that now. Sure, there is still creativity. There is still art because, you know, you have to understand what, like, you got to have, to some extent, you got to have an end goal of, like, what is it I'm trying to make? And yeah. then it's, okay, I'm trying to make a, you know, super decadent stout, well, I can't brew that the same way I would brew a pilsner. Mm-hmm. So I've got to be creative, and I got to think about what it is I'm adding into yeah. these different things. So there's it's a blend, but for me, I like the I have drifted more to to the science part of it. I didn't study science for shit. Uh, <laughs> I literally have taught myself the science yeah by reading books and working places that have just broken it down and there's things that i do that i don't 100 percent understand i i know what i'm doing and why i'm doing them yeah. but the i can't tell you what the chemical reactions and all of that i can walk you through it i could train someone to brew or do all of these things clean a tank yeah. which is just as it's manual labor but it's also you got to understand chemicals yeah. and ratios and yeah, yeah so that's for me where i because it's not just brewing i do yeah you know i carbonate i yeah. i package i do all these different things so it's it's very you got to understand the layers the to, stat yeah to be able to make it all happen yeah so ru- 
like for those of us who, because I never, I I homebrewed with a buddy who did it like a couple times, but I don't really. But like as far as what you're doing, what's the kind of timetable we're looking at between like when you start whatever that means to you and when it's in a can ready or in a keg mm-hmm. ready to ready to go. Um. So we'll talk about it as flips for a tank or. Um, you know what? How how many flips can I do in in a year? Okay, yeah, yeah, that's a great uh, sort way to of thing. think of it. Yeah. Um, and so if I'm, it depends on do I need this now or mm-hmm. you know if it's a if it's a logger, it's going to take longer. But if it's a standard, if it's a standard, let's just go like pale ale or something. You know, something yeah, very yeah. basic. I plan on I'm brewing it and I will have it ready to be packaged. In 21 days. Okay. Now, that's not always a guarantee uh, because, like I said, I'm just making the sugar liquid. I have to rely ultimately on the yeast. And so I have to know, okay, what's the, what temperature am I fermenting the yeast at? How quickly is it going to go? Yep. X, Y, Z. After that, then it's pulling the yeast off for a pale ale I would dry hop it so I'm adding hops into the fermenter or like into the liquid while it's not you know boiling not while it's not hot so it's 55 60 degrees 50 50 to 60 for a dry hop let that sit for a few days crash it yeah pull that junk out carbonate it and so I try for that's my average. Now, I can let things roll a little longer, you know, because I'm also using a mobile canning company. So, like, I, you know, if I'm canning, I'm trying to make sure I've got X amount of things going into a can at one time or only, like, one in one day. Yep. Because I'm make not big most, enough. Make the most yep. of having that canning. And so there's there's those things where it's like, okay, I'm, you know, something might sit for 30 days, but... Generally, I'm in the you know that twenty to twenty to thirty days is my sort of average, cool. uh, or my consistent. You know, loggers, big stouts, things like that take take time. Yeah. So you started at you started home brewing. Like, were you was this like with buddies, or did you have a buddy that was into it? <laughs> yeah. So I graduated college from Anderson uh-huh. in 2010. Mm-hmm. And had met this this guy like a year prior, hadn't like we didn't keep in contact. We met at like a church thing, uh, and then we met again. Twenty ten, I was doing an internship through the church thing. I didn't believe in God. I was just doing it because I wanted to hang out <laughs> with my friends and shit. Uh, and I cared about Anderson and like being yeah, part yeah, of, yeah, yeah. of that. Yeah. And so then I meet him, and he's a like we enjoyed beer he's like gets my number calls me comes picks me up we're hanging out start hanging out more and more and he's like hey i'm brewing on saturday you want to come over and i was like sure i don't know i like beer i don't know anything about this and we were just doing basic stove top like home brew stuff like we bought a kit and okay. had extracts and okay. things in it and the time i did it was they had one of the turkey fryers Mm-hmm. In, in, yep. the, in the driveway, <laughs> and mm-hmm. that whole that we did that whole thing. So we end up and did that, and we thought we were making really good stuff. And I'm not saying we weren't making 
okay stuff, but we weren't making really good stuff. Sure. But I, I got the bug pretty quick. Like, so 2010 would have been my first batch. It was probably 2011 or so. Like, I was I was itching to This is to another thing I relate to you about is when I find something I like, I'm just, I'm in. Yep. And, like, let's go. Like, I was that way from the moment with disc golf. I was that way with poetry. Uh, it's just like, let's do this. Like, I love this. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, so I, I had bought, like, a book. I read it cover to cover. Like, had concepts of of things which in, like, so in homebrewing, you're talking about, like, extract brewing, which is, like, some companies taking the the sugars out of the grain and then refining it down to something that you can use. It's kind of like a kit, yep. more like a kit. Yep. So you'll have either a syrup or a powder. It's essentially grain sugar in form. Uh-huh. Or you can do all grain brewing, which is more similar. Like it's the like closest sh- thing you're doing to what I do for... Like from scratch. Yeah. So I'm yep. taking grain, it's getting crushed. I'm yep setting it at temperatures and collecting all these things and blah 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 so like i had the itch and i was like went to great fermentations which is the homebrew supply store in indy and like did this class like trying to learn more about it like i remember like just trying to figure out how am i gonna do this like i want to get a system and like i want to open a brewery and (laughs) i had no idea what i was talking about and i'd say it would have been 13, 14, 13, uh, 2014 probably, end up in, I still didn't have a system. My buddy had gotten one with a, a friend of his, and so I'd go What do you and, mean a system? A bre- just a brewing like, system, three vessel okay. or so. Like So you have water, you have your grain, and then you've got your kettle for boiling. Okay. And so he'd had something, so I'd go over when they were brewing, and it was fun, but I was like, no, I want my own. And I found some system online like that was way bigger than I needed, but I didn't care because <laughs> I was getting a good deal on it. So me and uh, my friend Ben, we drove up. We borrowed his, at the time, his girlfriend's SUV, drove up to Minnesota. Like, just, I think it was like, nine hour 10 hour drive yeah we did it after work on a friday slept in a walmart parking lot type (laughs) thing uh get it get it loaded up the next morning drive back i you know clean everything get it all set up and brewed and enjoyed it i enjoyed it a lot but it was i was brewing so much and i like so much quantity that i also didn't have enough time to consume <laughs> all of it because generally people when they're home brewing will maybe do like five or ten gallons i was doing 20 some gallons at okay the time. so then i'm like literally like having my drink this thing yeah well the the people i knew that I, i've homebrewed with they would it was always the drink what they did last time when they were brewing like it was yep. always like that was that was their plan like we're gonna drink what we made last time, and now we're and now we're brewing some new stuff that we'll drink the next time we brew. You know, and that kind of, and that was always that always seemed that kind of stuff. The friends and the and um yeah and and the the drinking what you made that that always seemed that was the appealing part to me. That like I almost did, I almost got into it one time. 
I thought about it, and then I was like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, it seems like a, it's a lot. It's like a lot. It's like it's and and you got to understand some some things, and that's that was the part that like I was just intrigued because it was stuff I didn't know, and I liked creating something, and I yeah, you know. But I would it's an awesome thing to create. Yeah, I would. It would take me. It'd take me seven, eight hours to brew a batch, and then I gotta wait a couple weeks, and then I'm drinking that one thing for the next like month or so, and all I wanted to do was just brew more. So then I started, you know, I I started working for then the homebrew supply store in like twenty fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, I saw that the great fermentation. Yeah, yeah. So. Is that place still around? Yeah, uh, twenty six years. Uh, wow! Yeah, I did not know that. Yep. Wow. And so I, one of my favorite stories to say to tell is for sure when, so I was working for Aspire Indiana, which was behavioral health. Yep. And, uh, I was running a social enterprise program, so I was employing people with uh, mental, physical disabilities to. And I was teaching them to do housekeeping. So I was cleaning. We were cleaning all of our facilities and all of this. And I was getting burnt out and end up. And then I get a job opportunity to stay in the company. It was a grant-funded opportunity where I then basically am doing Social Security benefit analysis. Okay. So I do this for another year and a half. And I'm just fucking bored. I, I am not the person to work at home. I... But I'm working at home. Yeah. And Ashley was like, Ashley and I had to have conversations where she's like, I literally need you not to talk to me for like <laughs> 20 minutes when I get home. Because like, I'm just like, you're ready. I'm ready. Yeah. I haven't seen oh someone all day. Oh my God. I <laughs> and that feeling. So I see this position pop up and like, or that they were hiring or something. I had just been in to order grain or to pick up some grain or something to brew and I'd said it to Ashley and she's like if you don't apply you can't bitch about it <laughs> yeah like, if you don't get the job that's one thing but if you don't apply if you don't try you cannot bitch about not yeah trying so I was like okay so yeah. I put in an application so yeah. I went from like a salary Nah, like it wasn't like it was a career type job, but it was salary, good paying for you know mid twenties, stable. Yeah, Yeah. to oh, let's make ten dollars an hour selling retail stuff. Yeah, and but it was your it was was, foot in the door thing. Yeah, and so I did that for like a year and a half, and uh, made a whole bunch of connections that I still have now, and. Um, that that's what then led me into getting a brewing gig because I was like I like what I do but there's no advancement here there's no you know yeah what breweries did you work at before Pax Fair so my first gig was at uh, Wooden Bear over in Greenfield okay uh, so I started off I knew the brewer at the time the head brewer was Tony Vivaldi and um, we'd known each other just randomly and he'd come buy random stuff from us just, yeah. And uh, he ended up and brought me in to be the the third hand in in the operation because it was essentially just like really large homebrew because it was just this weird system that sucked. Uh, it was like extremely manual, which is great because you got some control, but it was like backbreaking. Yeah, yeah. And he ended up and I was there for two and a half, three years, something like that. 
two years. I couldn't tell you anymore. It's been it feels like forever. <laughs> but he ended up and had left, and then I was me and uh, the other guy, Jared were the ones brewing and I was the one who sort of took on like figuring out schedule and sort of taking and trying to step up a little bit and like make like understanding okay hey this is where we can go and yeah um did they played, did they have a big operate it wasn't it wasn't like I know about was the transition pretty, from home brewing to that it was a good step in it was a good step in because it was more than I could produce at home but it wasn't an automated or didn't have like a, it wasn't a big system. It literally looked like a homebrew system, but it was and it was weird because it was like a two and a half barrel and a barrel's thirty one gallons. Yeah, uh, is what we talk about in the U.S. is it's thir- so thirty one gallons, so two and a half barrels. So say just for shit's sake, ninety some gallons. Yeah, is what I'm putting into one of these things, but it's side by side. So I'm literally doing two mashes which is two grains and then i'm collecting two liquids which is the wort and i'm boiling them and then i have to knock like chill one of them down into a fermenter and then chill the other one down and yeah so then uh we parted ways in 19 i think and then i basically jumped around doing packaging for found square and then with central state okay and then uh i had gotten hired on to be the head brewer of Ellison uh, in downtown Indy. They're a brewery out of Lansing, East Lansing, Michigan. Okay. And they were putting a, another spot in. And so I was hired as head brewer. I did a lot of the build out, uh, brewing. So get another step up. Yep. And then <laughs> COVID hit. I was laid off. And I had known the Pax Virum guys for years. They used to... When they were homebrewers, they'd come buy stuff from me from oh, Grapefruit. Oh, wow. So they so, started as homebrewers yeah. also. And the funny thing is, is like, I'm the reason, like, Colt from back then is the reason Colt now does certain things. Because, like, I got them onto a certain yeast. Or I had told yep. them, like, hey, you should do this. And now that recipe has been made and people like that beer yeah. in that form because of something that I also had mentioned years ago oh that's cool it's it like there's times that i'm like why did if i could just go back and tell myself to not do that like just don't like just don't say that one thing but it's 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 honestly it's good it's been it's been really nice because i've known them and i would i would stop by you know once every three to six months and yeah yeah chat and hang out drop some beers off from wherever i was at and uh when covid hit i was just like guys like literally if you need something done like Text me. If you, when are you canning? When are you canning? Because yeah, yeah. I'm literally going insane. I luckily had a buddy who lent me, that I still have, a PS4. <laughs> and he had, like, a couple games for it. So, like, <laughs> I was playing games, and then my buddy Paul, who got me into brewing, his son had a PS4 online account, so I was downloading all of his games. <laughs> Playing, like, just games all day, and I'm like, I hate this. Like, I love it because I haven't gotten to play video games in years, you, but, like, yeah. I'm like, I'm meant to be brewing beer or doing something. And so they brought me on, and I officially started, like, I was going in for canning days just to be free labor, and they tossed me a couple four-packs because yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't care. Like, I just need it out of my house. I wanted to do something. Yeah. And they, the 
owner brewer uh, who was one of the owners who was brewing at the time, he ended up in uh, 60, late 60s, needed a uh, knee replacement, and then it was supposed to be, you know, three months later he'd be recovered, he'd do the other knee. So yep. all I was, like, sort of getting a job for was Fill six months. For, yeah, yeah. And it didn't really play out that way for him. Like, he's still figuring out the knee stuff. Yeah. But they had offered me the spot. I then start seeing, okay, from my experience, these are the things that I think that we need to do. And it's just become a sort of a more involved relationship. Like, I don't have a, like, I don't want to leave. I like what I'm doing. I like what I'm building. I'm, you know designing recipes and yeah saying, hey this is what i want to i think this is what we would do really like would be really nice and that i'm not serving the bar but i'm like i know what people like drink so it's like yeah let's make this beer because i think it'll sell at the bar but it'll also sell in retail like when we can when sell it you in... did the uh the sp- the hard seltzers yeah too, like you're evolving in in those ways too um, yeah, that was my. I know have kind of popped off, haven't they? They've done pretty well. Um, I hear a lot of people talking about you know. Yeah, so. it was a. It was definitely one of those that that was my COVID project because I was bored and wanted to learn something. So I literally just is was it like, a bit? Is it a big difference? The process? Oh, at least enough okay. uh, to do it consistently. To do to have you know something that you want. Uh, it does. It also makes something that not like you talk about about being out there like. That not everyone, because everyone, every Corona and Bud Light are doing seltzers. Yep. And it's like, how can you do something? That, and yours are way different, because did you do like a hibiscus? Like, I did know? a pink guava hibiscus yeah. and a raspberry lemon, and then I just did packaged so, uh, pineapple and lime. Yeah, so you're not fine. Those are different. Yep. Those are, yeah, that's cool. Right. You actually would really love him. But uh, he, he has this podcast called You Made It Weird. And he I've was, heard of the podcast. He was talking about it one day about the way he knows a good conversation partner is it's he says it feels like playing with a beach ball where you're like <laughs> where like you knock it up and I know you're gonna knock it back to me and it's not just like I'm sitting here by myself with yep. a beach ball and I'm waiting on you to be like here hit me the beach ball or I hit it to you and you just like let it hit you in the head you know <laughs> like some people do that and so uh, and of course everyone's different so I'm okay with that. But, uh, and some people are shyer and I, you know, and that's kind of part of this too, is helping people tell their story. But, uh, this is, there I is, knew, there's thir- certain things that have been said about Colt being shy. I, w- I knew one. you wouldn't have a hard time <laughs> with keeping the beach ball up with me. Um, and Ashley so and I have talked and it's like, if we ever move, I'm the one who's going to meet the people to then introduce her to. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I know I always joke that, um. That when I go places, they're either 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 people I know or people I'm gonna know soon. Yep. <laughs> um. So, which I enjoy. But uh, yeah. So let's see. Uh, where was it? Okay. Well, you know, I'm sipping on this uh, Athletic Brewing Run Wild IPA, non-alcoholic brew. Um. And so it had. I was thinking. You mentioned it to me a little the other day about. I never understood how non-alcoholic beer actually works especially with like craft beer like mm-hmm. how is it non-alcoholic right because it it like looks the same it tastes similar like especially like these craft brews so but you said that like you make it like the same and then you extract the alcohol so i'm still not a hundred percent like i understand it yeah but like the rudimentary way that people have done it 
the couple ways, like when you're small or whatnot. Yeah. The base way is you would take brew something, ferment it with everything. Yeah. And then you would take and you can bring it back up to 175, 180. I can't remember off the top of my head what temperature alcohol evaporates at, but you're you can do it that way where you're evaporating. Evaporating. Uh, the other way is like small people, small systems will take and like filter it through like an RO filter or something, um, like a reverse osmosis filter. Okay. Now, the big boys that do it, they have systems in place that are a filter that is literally or a process that's literally there to you're going to ferment this you're going to do everything and then you're going to take it through this system and it's going to help separate like it's going to strip the alcohol out okay uh and then you could take in say dry hop it again yeah or you know for the first time something to give some flavor on the hop side of it yeah but it's it's something like i've tried to understand and like learn a little bit but it's also I don't have the biggest desire to me to advance to into that it? side. That you don't think you mostly to the entry like to do it well. Like the cost in it is more than what I care to be involved with. Like is that part? Is that kind of why they seem to be as expensive or more expensive than regular beers because they're more labor intensive or you're doing something? I'm always just curious. Or is it just because they're po- they're popular right now? Hmm. Cause they probably roughly about the same as cost and labor. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're gonna see a couple that'll end up in drop cost, yeah. but really, when you get down when like brass taxes, that's still an aluminum can. That's still like beer in the sense a, yeah. a beer that w- and that had to spend time in a tank and yep. had to do all these certain things. So, it so it's still going to cost now. They're going to be, if like, once you get to a certain scale, sure, you're going to see, so for, uh, on beer side of it, you know, Sun King, which is, you know, Indiana, big brewery. Yeah. Versus me, Pax, Viram, and Lapel, they're producing a lot more. So they're also then able to cut their costs down on several things and produce more yep. product where I'm not able to do so. So my cost... For a four pack is going to be higher yep. than what theirs will be, you know, standard economics. Yep. So it's similar to where it's you're just yeah, you know, you you know, it's the same concept of think of like Bud in A or yeah, Bush yeah. Bush like yep. Bush in A. Yep. You know, those are damn near dirt cheap because they're big because they're companies. big companies. Yeah, um, yeah, but not so. I when I first quit drinking and I was like oh I, I think I want to try some of these in a I, so I went to you and said like hey what's the deal with these uh, and you had you had pointed me towards athletic as one of the ones um, yeah is it but you even mentioned like these sometimes feel a little sweet and so I just wonder uh, that it leads me to this I asked you this question like what's the point, <laughs> what's the point of NA beer and I still don't know the answer because I'm like I think for me it's partly because, like, I knew you were bringing beer over. It's nice to have a beer with you. And I know I don't need to be drinking right now, so, like, this is a good uh, mix. And also, I with the IPAs, I legitimately miss the taste of IPAs. Mm-hmm. As far as what's the, like, what's the purpose? I, 
What's the purpose in anything? <laughs> <laughs> now we're getting into it. <laughs> it's 2021. Like, what the fuck? We've, like, we've decided that there's no purpose to anything, right? But I think that it's... There's always been... Not always, but for, you know, past several, several years, there's been in a beer and, uh-huh. um, you know, it was the bigger companies and doing those, like, and even then you couldn't find them most anywhere. Yeah, they're always uh, tucked in some little weird spot. And, and probably older. In a liquor store. Yeah, and I older, older than shit. And yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. things still need to be sort of fresh. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that there's this aspect to... <sighs> culture of recognizing hey i can't do that you mm-hmm. know when you would the first time that i saw you after you would uh quit drinking i offered you beer because i'd had some and you're we, like yeah, i we, actually quit and i was like oh cool like yeah, yeah yeah to me i don't like that's cool like my best friend quit drinking i'd mentioned earlier like yeah, yeah. he quit drinking in 2020 and that's been like literally we used to just get together and drink beer yeah yeah well covid then hits and we still figured out how to get together but it was i'm like okay hey like can, is it still okay if i bring beer but like i'm yeah. not gonna you know we're not we're not doing what we used to do and get like fucking shit face <laughs> uh it's yeah hey i'm gonna like i'm bringing a four pack and i'm probably not drinking them all i just don't know what i want so i'm yeah, bringing yeah. a variety is that cool and it's yeah and he'll have he he started making even like he'll do the na beer he'll make um uh, like mocktails at times nice. and, you know things like that just because he recognized for him yeah i need to take care of myself and my you know my mental health and to do these certain things for me yeah so i'm not going to partake in that mm-hmm. it's fine if you do yeah in you know to some extent inside of you know uh restraint you know yeah, yeah, yeah. don't go fucking ham yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which i'm sure can be difficult when you have access to uh, unlimited beer <laughs> it's it can be but it's also not uh yeah it's probably yeah it's it's also like i'm cool like i'm good but i also appreciate that there is an option of the NA beers and craft NA beers and yeah. the the hop tea stuff that I we were talking about earlier before yeah. this and it's like or I like I the lime hop water. I yeah, that's pretty cool. I've I've seen that. I haven't had it because my understanding of that is they just r- filter water through hops. I think so. Is this? I tried know. to do one. I tried to do like a sparkling hop water. Yeah. And it wasn't bad, but I was like, I don't like carbonated water, so why am I drinking this? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I th- I like what you're saying, though. I, I think, for me, the, the, the only thing that it took to quit drinking was to make sure I had behavioral replacements in place. Yep. And so, for me, it was a lot of those liquid death waters, which you've seen me carry a million mm-hmm. of those black cans that look like beer and sound like beer when you open them and and it so it has that same kind of vibe and this is i got a bunch of these for like my birthday coming up like just so you're not tempted and just so it's yeah it's it's part of the natural flow and it's always nice when you go because i like going to shows at bars or going out with like last night we went to big lug in indy and 
I was kind of disappointed they didn't have a single like non-alcoholic option besides like soda and I was like this would have been nice like if they just had a couple of these or something you know and like where I can at least partake in the cheers <laughs> you know like you know and like and it's about yeah I think normalizing it for yourself where like I like what you said about your friend where it was about like I need to take care of myself so what fits in that parameter mm-hmm. and for me it's it's I'm all ha- I'm so habit driven like uh and so if you take if you just replace the habit with something else I'm fine um but yeah that's awesome uh oh another thing you probably get this is probably another question you get all the time so I apologize but uh what would you what do you say to people like I get asked this a lot by like my friends around here like I have a friend a uh, neighbor down the road who like only drinks Bud Light but then when we were hanging out, and back when I was drinking, you know, I'd have craft beer, and he'd always be like, "What should I drink that's not Bud Light?" And I, so I, so obviously, probably a lager is probably like you're it's, drinking the yeah, your, your lager. The yeah, I'm drinking my pilsner right now. Oh, the pilsner, um, yeah. I I would it's you gotta you gotta be a have a willingness to try something. Yeah. Uh, I've been in this industry and been drinking craft beer. Like, so I've been drinking craft beer for. 11 years uh don't get me wrong i still will fight someone if they talk shit about high life uh <laughs> that that's is, the best of the cheap beers i agree with you actually yeah. yeah it's high life pbr and then i uh probably coors banquet uh and yeah but, and butter tied for third yeah but i've been could, in yeah i have similar range been in the been in the thing long enough that like my mom still i can't get her to, to try it like she'll she she tastes it, but it's always the worst face. And I'm like, literally better than the Stella that you're drinking. But it's yeah, it's again, it's probably said something about them and not the <laughs> yeah. beer, where it's like their unwillingness to because you can't just go off one sip. Yep. If you never know, you gotta like drink a few. Well, and, and you, you gotta, can. Like, I think yes and no. I think you can tell a lot by a sip. The sip is the the base human thing inside of you saying i like that or i don't yeah yeah you know we as humans there's a reason that human like homo sapiens exist versus the other species that could have at one time yeah yeah it's because we had you know several other advantages but we also had the concept of that's bad yep where the so I part. let me not just like eat this thing that's gonna make me shit my brains out and die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, okay, now I'm gonna have to shit, but I'm not gonna die. Yeah, well, I guess what I mean by like you need more than one sip is because uh, anything oh, really unfamiliar like, is yeah. go- anything unfamiliar is going to give you like a uh, at first. Sure, but it but once you start like yeah. down the road of acclimating well, and and expanding your palate, that like. Um, I think so. But that's why I'm always like, yeah, just grab one of those, like, Pax Pilsners. And, like, that'll, once you have one, I think it'll, because they're not that, I mean, they're good, they're better quality. It's also one beer. Just try to drink a beer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, You're just literally having to drink this beer. But I think the other part of it is, as a brewer, I know that all of these things that I make and that I curate, basically, have different flavors so someone could try the pilsner and even though they're a miller light drinker be like i don't yeah. like that but they could try my blonde ale which is going to be similar on some level and they're going to love it mm. so i think it's it's that sip of 
Let me try it. I'm not a fan. Let me try something else. Yeah, yeah. But you gotta, you can't shut down and just see like that. There's a can of Miller Light right behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that you could buy for way more than a can should cost. Yeah. Well, I, I think you guys sell like Bud Light or something over there. Uh, At we one sell, point, you, yeah, Bud Light, Miller Light. Yeah, High you Life. Had, which I just thought was so interesting. It was mostly like, our locals. Uh, there was a, people part would, of, a part of the local population just wouldn't. Like they would drink one or two, like one or two, but they wanted, you know, or they they'd be coming with their friends that like craft beer, but they wanted their milk. Yeah, light. So yeah, I thought that was, was fascinating over there. You're like, yeah, hey, this is what the people want. <laughs> yeah, like, go for it. Like, and I'm gonna charge. <laughs> like, if you want to pay you, that much, you can charge you five bucks for for this can. You could yeah. buy a craft beer for five bucks, but you you're can. gonna buy this. Um, so. But yeah. I think that that's one of the like for that for me like when that made me really think about when I. I didn't like sours, like true, real sours. I didn't like them for a long time. Well, because they they kind of have that like something's a little yeah. off here. <laughs> it's it's very much like oh, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And I re- I couldn't tell you what it was off the top of my head, but I remember the first time I had one that like it was someone was like, hey, try this, and I was like, I don't like sours. They're like, just try it. And I was like, oh, that's actually nice. And that was the 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 switch of you know because your palate changes so you found your first taste like thumbs up yeah going. yeah and and but that's the thing is it's like you got to keep trying you got to if if yeah. we and I think that that's just as humans in life like if you only stick to doing these certain things or mm-hmm. only eating these certain things yeah. you're gonna well you get tired of it and you get stuck in these ruts that don't allow you to grow and yeah and where we live right is I see it all the time with food, <laughs> mm-hmm. with with food where it's like, when do you eat vegetables? And it's like, yeah, like I didn't eat vegetables for a long time growing up because my parents, the only vegetables they would feed me was like canned green beans and canned corn. And I was like, well, that's gross. And and it's like, oh, but, but then like when I moved, especially when I moved to Austin, but also when I moved to Muncie, like. Having mm-hmm. green beans that were like well made, like on a skillet, going like, to Thai smile, yeah, <laughs> yeah, going in places and having like yeah, and like all these different kinds of veg, and it's just so it's just about like yeah, like you said, not shutting down. Yep, and is the big thing. Um, well, uh, yeah, well, so. Yeah, so we promised we talk about. If you don't mind talking a little longer, this I'm is good, this is long. I know, but like I said, you can make this a two parter. No, no, no. I've had a couple push two hours, and people are, listen to them just at the same. So, um, so you've mentioned going to school at AU a few times over in Anderson. Um, How did you end up at a at a Christian at such a Christian school? Uh, well, were you religious growing? Were I. You go to I wouldn't say I was religious growing up. I, my grandmother on my my dad's mother was a was very religious and was uh, Methodist. Okay. Uh, worked for like did did youth groups and other things like that. And, yeah. Um. I mean, I remember the being seven or eight and like giving my heart to Jesus. Shit, like. Like that's that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, and then, but I lived in Las Vegas as a kid, like from like five to ten. Like I oh, grew I didn't up know out that. there. Yeah. Okay. So, 
which if you ever, you know, live out, like, Texas, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then you come back here, you're like, what the fuck is this wet blanket that I'm living in? Yeah, like, this is very different. This is the worst thing. Like, <laughs> I can tolerate 120, but you give me 90 in a blanket. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate this. But Yeah. So I would come back, I'd get, you know, random Christian stuff, but didn't really have the full concept of it. Yeah. Uh, just because I wasn't around it. We didn't go to church my mom and other grandmother were and great grandmother would be classified as Christian, but we didn't partake in yeah. going to church. And but you had a curiosity or an, or like a it was it uh, was there. It was something yeah. that I was just. It was more like it was just told that this is what we like, this, is, this is it. Yep. Well, once I uh, we moved back, we me and my mom ended up down in Fishers and. I couldn't tell you why, but we, there was a church, you know, a mile or so away that we end up and started going to. Once again, no idea why. <laughs> and I, you know, okay, cool. Yeah, I believe this stuff, I guess. And I really did and was big in the youth group and yeah. was, you know, there on Wednesdays, there on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Uh, started going to other youth groups and other things. Like, I was, very much a part of like Christianity was part but again, of who I was. It's it's your it's yeah. you, right? Where you're like getting and, excited about yeah. like groups, like here's a group and yeah. like I like groups. because um, And then there was this whole like weird one for me where it was like I feel like it would have been after like it was like junior to senior year of high school. Like I still like I was in this place and uh-huh. but my youth pastor, Neil, uh I don't see him very much anymore. Like we, ca- like I see stuff he posts, but like he is ultimately one of the most like influential characters in my younger days. Yeah, yeah. Sure, there was the your you know Christian side of it, but it was also no. We're here to care for those and to yeah. do these certain things. Like we were going down to. Indie and doing lunches for mm-hmm. the houseless and those who you know couldn't afford. Like we were, you know, once a month we're making we're cooking hundreds upon hundreds of burgers. Like yeah, yeah. it's also a very amusing thing as a freshman in high school to be like, here's these patties, cook them up, don't burn them. And yeah, like yeah. Just being trusted to do it. Yeah, you've never cooked on a grill. Like, <laughs> but but so, yeah, it, yeah, it gives you that sort of that purpose that you seem to love that like where like I know or maybe don't even know but I have this energy to know and this curiosity to know how to care for people and how to create yep. things for people. Well he um, ended up and got me to start like he always like he didn't he, he was great as a uh, leader for youth because it wasn't he wasn't he was telling you yes this is what it is but it's also question things. If you yeah. got questions question it. Yep. And it was a, such a good foundational That's thing for awesome. me. And, what, um, what was the was there a denomination? No, it was non denominational thing. Classic, yeah, yeah, uh, classic, <laughs> classic Midwest, Indian. classic yeah. Midwest. Uh, yeah. like, but so we so I did that. I I was still going to other stuff, and that church was sort of slowly dying out, and uh, people were leaving for whatever reasons, and so I was involved a whole bunch of places, and I proceed to. Like, you know, I'm in my senior year and 
I didn't know how to go to college. Like, I just thought you just went. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> just show up someplace. Yeah, it was just like, yeah, <laughs> you just apply and they accept I'm here now. Like, yeah, yeah. So I graduated early at, like, oh, December or whatnot. Okay. Because I was like, why not? Like, I'm not going to get a better diploma if I stay for yeah, another yeah, semester. Yeah. Well, that then meant I was working. I needed to get a job. I needed to apply to college. Well, I was trying to go to IU or Ball State because I wanted to do fo- I wanted to go for photojournalism. But the other places I was looking at were to go into like youth ministry. Yeah. And so I was looking at. I had a connection down at Johnson Bible College in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh-huh. Uh, and then it was Anderson, just because I had been up a few times for mm-hmm. different conference things. And so it was like, okay, well, I didn't get accepted to IU. I didn't get accepted to Ball State. I literally am down in Florida for some youth conference thing and got, I think that's when I found out that I was accepted to AU. To AU. Yeah. Like I got a phone call from the guy. No. It was before that conference. It was I was going to a youth group thing, and I got a call from the the guy at AU, like, "Hey, I just want to let you know we're accepting." And I was like, you know, losing it because I thought I wasn't going to get into college. Yeah, all this yeah, shit. yeah. So my goal was I wanted to go for ministry. I wanted to like be a pastor or some shit. But I also always had these like questions and whatnot. Yeah. And it was always a weird one for me of what do I believe and. I mean, I, I know these things are my core. and Yeah. It was like my first semester at Anderson, and I'm in like an intro to Bible for majors. So like for people who are focusing either on the academic side or the uh, pastoral so side. So pretty serious study. Yeah, and, yeah. and uh, Dr. Strage, um Merle Strage, he's great, great guy. Like um, he's teaching this class, and he's – He's still, you know, he's got hardcore faith in this, but he's also, like, not afraid to tell you, like, hey, this is what you've been told is wrong. Yeah, yeah. Which is... Well, especially coming out of a lot of the non-denom stuff, and... Because I run into that all the time, because... So my ex-wife, Diana, was uh, uh, was Episcopalian. Yeah, that's what so I was very saying. loosey-goosey, and... Uh, but also, when we were together, when we were married... We lived at the. She went to the Austin uh, Presbyterian mm-hmm. Seminary to. Uh, she was wanted to be a chaplain, so she, and so we lived at the seminary, and so it was one of my first because I had at like fourteen had had been like this isn't for <laughs> whatever y'all are doing, not uh, for me, not for me. Uh, but when I got there, that's when I started getting back into like spirituality and started wondering about that because it was like. Oh yeah, there's other ways you can go about this, uh, you know, and you know the ones that focus more on the story of it and the meaning, like yep. the meaningfulness of it versus the literalness or the controlling aspects of it or the right and wrong aspects. Uh, and that was that was big for me to see it, but but I imagine being in having those questions but you're like you're like in the belly of the beast like as a participant Mm -hmm. where like i was i was still an outsider at the seminary like 
I, I was the token atheist husband. <laughs> it's like, yep. anytime they needed, like, we're having a group discussion. Will you be sure to come, Tyler? And like, oh, yeah, because you need an atheist <laughs> like, to fill your quota. Oh, that's so you're, good. you're also going to ask that other guy who's, who's Muslim. Like, I know that. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to make yep. sure we're both there. You so both have to be there or there's <laughs> not representation. <laughs> yeah. So it's that kind of yeah. thing. So I end up and I, you know, had all those questions trying to figure it all out and basically just got to this point where I was like, I'm, I'm not going to pursue this anymore. I recognize, like, I wanted, I still wanted to believe in this religion. Uh-huh. So I was like, I'm, but I'm not cut out to be a pastor or something. Okay. You know, there's that. There's a gradual stepping back. Yeah, of like, and, but it was, a, it was also like, I, I like what I know and have learned, but I also recognize because of this, I'm not going to be the best teacher. Uh-huh. I'm going yeah. to still question things, and that's not a bad thing for a teacher, but I'm not going to necessarily want to continue this. So I was, you know, jumping around, trying to just, you know, knocking out all your random college classes, yeah, but also yeah. testing my feet in the other, you know, departments, and, mm-hmm. you know, liked a couple of things, but just never really got anywhere, and I, uh, just got to this point where I was like, shit, I need to graduate college or I'm going to be here for seven <laughs> fucking years. And, and you're at a private school. Yeah, too. and it's like costing a pretty penny. So I was like, you know, I've got all these credits for like the Bible and religion department. Yeah. I don't have to do, be a pastor. Do I just need a, I just want a degree. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I had, in this same time period of doing that, I... Uh, been trying to I'd recognize like my ADHD uh, was really heavy and just kicking my ass I couldn't focus I couldn't do certain things so I was like trying to get meds dialed in and end up in the doctor I was seeing end up in was more worried about my seasonal depression than my ADHD so put me on a a depression med and I then had a uh, lapse of reality uh, I didn't know what my right arm was for Whoa. a little while. Um, that was a fun little... Wait, this was a reaction to the meds? That's probably? the best way you could... Yeah. yeah. Um, I like literally just couldn't figure out what, like how to... like It was just moving. Like fan, Almost like yeah. the opposite of phantom limb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm like looking at it and I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's moving. Yeah. Um, and so that was like a big moment for me in like my junior year of college or something like you kind of had a psychedelic experience very very close to it at least yeah so i uh that was like a big another knock to like reality and like Uh concept of um you know we all have these you know view of like our view of the world and whatnot and that just was like another tick down like yes okay i'm a christian i really want to do this and then college started like okay no we're still christian but yeah. we don't take that and then it was like well, fucking reality's a joke yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah but it's like no we're still but we still believe these things and then it yeah. just like kept going and then i was like okay i'm gonna go i'm gonna keep into the bible and religion department and sort of study some stuff and then it was just very quickly like i don't believe this stuff like i wanted to yeah like i was really trying because it was like some part of still of me was like that's me and it's like yeah no, you're still cold without that. Yeah. And I end up in completely lost all at some point in between like 2000 and 
not eight to 2010 completely lost like all concept of of a god and my worldview changed mm. to you know it still had a lot of those core yeah things that i was or like the know, values maybe yeah, the values were there but like i didn't have a god character that made me care for those like that was the thing that made yeah. me those care for those values so i was uh-huh. you know able to stretch out and able to experience life in this weird way that was interesting it, it opened a little bit it did right? and, yeah. I, and it was probably eight to seven to nine is really but 2010 is when it really was like full haywire because i was just i was finishing my degree and i'm getting a degree in bible and religion yeah as an atheist yeah i also saw something about peace and conflict yeah that was my minor it i was, thought that was i was like i don't know what that is but it sounds awesome <laughs> so it's uh there's an endowment that some so anderson university's church of god there's a big historical mm-hmm. movement through the church of god for pacifism and mm-hmm. um and then out of that a growth towards not just like pacifism is cool and all but it's no you have to you have to have a conversation. You have to transform. Yeah. You you know, we, we can't just, like, sit back and do nothing. Yeah. You know? And so that was a really good... Uh, it was it was a fun minor. Because um, I learned a lot about myself. I learned how to communicate with people. I learned, you know, to do a whole bunch Well, of I stuff, like this but... differentiation of, like, I'm keeping the values, but, like, the thing it's attached to, I'm going to refine yep. that. And maybe it's attached to yourself. You know, like... I this guy like Locke Kelly who talks a lot about mindfulness and stuff. He I was listening to a talk with him the other day and he was differentiating between attention and awareness. So attention mm. being like subject being aware of an object. Mm-hmm. That's attention, right? But awareness is this it's this non-dual, it's not this versus this. It's like this wide it's this widening. So a lot of religion had the base is in the awareness. Is this like mm-hmm. spirituality, mysticism? That's very aware and open, but we've turned it into this attention thing. Like I'm talking, I'm praying to God. God is answering my prayers. God is watching over me, and it's like this attention struggle of like, yep. hope God's paying attention to me, or am I paying attention to God enough? And it's like, oh, I'm paying attention to the universe. Like it's yep. like you know, and that's what I like. I like that, and I think that I really like at the end of it, it's. I don't, have, you know, we are minuscule random objects we in this universe. We are so minuscule. Uh, that, like, the likelihood that we just exist is still just mind-blowing. So, sure, I can understand why people then are like, well, there's a god. And I'm like, cool, that's cool for you. I'm just like, science is weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good approach. Because, and... Sure, if there's a god and like I fucked up by not believing in it, like cool. Like, yeah, but it's not that it's god not worth fucked it up by it. not giving me the yeah. the right information because I. But it's it's also I don't care. It's not something for like yeah. it's not something that's going to weigh in on. I can't allow these things that I don't know dictate my life. I would yeah. rather just exist. So like I have a very. You know, I'm very much a humanist on levels. I, uh, to some extent, would at times say I'm a Satanist only due to the sole (laughs) fact of, like, I, not in the, like, dark magic bullshit, but, like, the concept of, 
I don't need a God. I am my own being, and so yeah, I am yeah, making yeah. my own decisions. Like, yeah. that side of, of it. Like, I don't... I joke that I'm a Satanist. I'm not. But, like, I... I appreciate some of the values that can come from it. Okay. Um, because it's good. very much, I am responsible for me. Yeah. And what I do to you, Tyler. Like, yeah, yeah. It's not that there's a God that yeah. I am then accountable to. I am accountable to myself and to you for the actions I do to you. Yeah, yeah. And that makes me a lot more connected and grounded into this reality that we live in. Yeah. Well, when you said the thing about us being so minuscule, I think that's part of I think there's two, and to to you know to base it down, it's obviously more complicated. Than this, but there's like two types of people who re- the way they respond to that realization that we're minuscule, they need something. Some people need something like mm-hmm. a god to make them feel safe in that. Well, I my reaction is really celebratory of like w- awe, right? It's mm-hmm. an awe of like I'm so fucking small. How awesome is that? Yeah. Like. How and that's like my experiences with psilocybin with mushrooms has has grown that my experience meditation has grown that of just like uh, that is versus I think some people to handle their they need stuff like that's why there have been so many religions that's why there are so many and well I mean we still have religions that have been invented in the last hundred years and it'll <laughs> keep happening because. People I don't know if those are religions. I think we call those cults. But the, yeah. how are they di- <laughs> they're not different. Like they're like not. Scientology. Yeah. Is, is like or close, Mormonism. Yeah. Isn't that? No, I get you. It's and it's very much that it's somebody the, needs something. Yeah. Uh, we need because I read this really great book. Uh, I forget the author, but it was called An Atheist Guide to Spirit or Atheist Guide to Religion. Yeah, and he just goes through all the different religions and finds all the similarities like they all have like a prophet they all have a origin story and because it's all the questions where do we come from they all have something about the afterlife because we need to know where we're going and like we need rules because we need what do we do while we're here but like my argument is always i think we're beyond that i i think we're getting to Mm -hmm. be we're like we have new things like science. Not that science is new, but like we have newer understandings yes. like science and like advances in philosophy and psychology, yep. where we can start to understand why why I should treat you a certain way or why, and I don't need like a random book or like or the fear of getting struck by lightning <laughs> to. <laughs> we're, the lightning's getting pretty intense as we're sitting here <laughs> talking about no God. I'm like, never mind. I believe in God. Uh, no, nah, uh, I'm good. <laughs> no, nah, yeah. If but like, it's this. It's that's what makes me sad is when it becomes this. It's this like, uh, this like, yeah. It's dualistic where it's like good, bad, mm-hmm. right, wrong, like all this and like, it's like I think it's more nuanced than that. Um, and also. We forget a lot of things, like this guy Rob Bell, who's a preacher. Oh, yeah, uh, I know Rob. You know Rob, yeah. But he has this amazing, this really enlightening thing that I keep telling all the Christians I know is his thing is like eternity starts when you're born, or maybe even before, but not when you die. Like there's this idea that like, mm-hmm. oh, I when I die, then I'm gonna have eternal life. It's like if you believe you're gonna have eternal life, that starts now. Like. Yep. Start now. <laughs> well, I mean, that's sort of like how I... Some of the stuff I got into in my 
believing that, like, trying to still believe uh, in mm-hmm. this thing, then it was more like different theological approaches that I was also learning. And yeah. I, I still value, uh, and to some extent, like, impacted me in my core, like, process theology is, is something that, like, just process philosophy is basically where I'm at to some degree now, but it's that everything, it's almost cyclical, you know? Yeah. But it's, in the in the theology aspect of it is very much, okay, I I am born, I what I do to you affects you, uh-huh. which affects the next person, yeah. which continues. Yep. But then also, what I do now continues to live. What I continue, you know, so if I am a shit person, I will cause shit. Yeah. It's very uh, Buddhist and, you know, some of those uh, theologies and that. uh, But it's it's also like, I still, I've told Ashley, like, if I die, uh, put me in the ground, put a tree on me. Because at least my body can be fuel for this tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need this shit. Yeah, yeah. Sure, take it all, give it all to the doctors, and the rest of it throw in the ground and put a tree on me. Absolutely. Uh, One I had for you, though, so since you've been asking questions, one of the things I I felt like you would enjoy. Yeah. uh, Because I was like, what does he not know? And uh, there's a lot that we've covered. But So you did, you know, literature and poetry. Yeah, yeah. So one of the ways that I kept myself engaged through college, okay. towards my end, I love, I still love like the Old Testament, you know, the Hebrew yeah. Bible. Um, it's one of the best l- pieces of literature yeah, it's, ever. Uh, it's just so engaging and so amazing, uh, especially you know the the first five, the Torah, like yeah. it's so good. Um, to keep myself engaged and to keep pushing myself on other things. I was actually trying to. I went for a year for my master's, and I had started this in call in my undergrad. But I was using Marxist literary criticism on <laughs> the Hebrew okay. Bible, which works really well because, especially when you understand the history of yeah. where these people were and the the verbal or like the oral traditions and whatnot, uh-huh. where they were when these things were like coming up in the stories, you. Like, Marx's literary criticism is one of my favorite things in literature because it really takes that, the the person into, uh, the writer into okay. play. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, I, I liked literature. I never really dove hard. Like, I love Vonnegut. I love, you know, yeah. some of that stuff. But, like, I just got, I just, like, fucking back into everything. Well, and and went into, like, hardcore, like, how do I use, like, these... Literature things that I never studied (laughs) would teach myself these like concepts and just like learn to approach them. That's cool. That's yeah. That's a fun way to, especially like you said, to keep yourself going. Because yeah, as you're, it gives you another way to dig into it too, Mm -hmm. right? If you're looking at it from an author, like that's something that I learned a lot from from my ex wife was she was really into some of that and. like explained a lot of like who wrote certain books of the Bible mm-hmm. and the and the context of those and how they ended up in the in the actual Bible and and the things that were missing and all that and that and then because when you start poking around at that stuff that's where some of the this is God's text comes into question of like mm-hmm. yeah but what about all the people who had their dirty little human hands on it <laughs> like you know like that's where it gets really interesting so well that's really fascinating um. But, so, when you were, what was your, like, emotional reaction to, like, 
that revelation that you didn't believe in God anymore. Because, you know, a lot of people go from the, that revelation leads them into like an angry atheist phase. I think I might have talked to you this before because that's like mm-hmm. one of my most fascinating. Because I didn't have it because I was 14. I didn't, I was never like married to God in the way that people who were like studying in college or preparing for a career in the church or stuff like that. Uh, I had an ex girlfriend who was literally like about to sign a, to become like a youth pastor and and then realized she didn't believe in God like that same week <laughs> and she went through like a really angry atheist face because it's like being betrayed right it's like finding out that your parents weren't your birth parents it's finding out that your dad's yep. been cheating forever or that your dad doesn't even exist <laughs> like yeah. uh, and so did you have that or what was yeah what was kind of your I think mine was like in like the way I understand it, it was just a long trajectory mm-hmm and part of it like started unraveling. with, and well, and I think part of it starts with like being in a church that was like slowly closing and like seeing, feeling communal hurt, yeah, and communal like seeing this community that uh, that we were that I was invested in, then slowly dwindle, yeah. and then like that's a big one. Like if I'm like pinpointing, like where do where where does the string start to unravel? Like that was probably one of them. Okay, um, but then it's like you know learning different things and like you know reality shifts and so it was it was literally probably a 10 year span but i didn't see it as a 10 year span yeah. um and i really didn't ever see it the end like i didn't see it a date where it was like i don't believe yeah, in god. Yeah, yeah. it was just like sort of oh i guess like a couple months ago i stopped believing in god okay it wasn't like so like i definitely still have appreciation for for religion in some facet yeah. uh it's still a remarkable human thing that i can appreciate on some level and i also have some disdain for yeah um i but i just got to this point where i was like okay and i you know yeah. i dislike mega church i dislike certain aspects of christianity and of religion yeah. that uh try to force indoctrinate you know yeah. people well, but i didn't really hit that like anger phase it was yeah. uh, it was just a because i also had papers to write so i could just like torch some shit up <laughs> and, like, this you had is an, bullshit. Out, you had an like, outlet for that and my and feelings. that's some that's why i think i use the like the literary criticism and like i would was so engaging in my classes because i would say the things that no one else was thinking at times because yeah yeah uh, or, you know, some were, but, like, we weren't necessarily always in the same classes. So I'm, like, saying this stuff of, like, I don't get this. This is, like, to me, Colt, the one who doesn't really believe. Yeah. This is some bullshit. Sure. And then I'm getting, like, people, like, pr- trying to pray for me the and shit. And I'm, like, I don't yeah. care. Like. <sighs> yeah. Because if you're not. I feel like also if you're not approached with that before you, like, by someone, at least before you're gonna go be a pastor somewhere like you probably should be like yeah i think doubt is like one of the most important things a lot a lot of us yeah we get so locked into what we know mm-hmm. and that that was the thing that drew me to poetry is like there's just so many ways that especially as modernism and postmodernism and all yep. that struck like it really opened up like the possibilities of like uh not of what we can know, but of what we don't know, and the ability to 
stay in mm-hmm. the unknown and be comfortable and exist in the unknown. And uh, so it's just exciting to for again, it's that how do you approach it? Is it terrifying because you don't know, or is that excite? Do you approach it with celebration and curiosity? Um, and so I'm hoping to lead that way. And that's why it's been really fun digging into spirituality. Like I'm reading more about different spiritual traditions. I'm reading um, right now. I'm reading Be Here Now by Ram Das um, okay. about his acid trips in India. Um, all that, like all that kind of stuff. And just like, what are the poss? Like, let's go. Let's blank. Sl- I'm already a blank slate. I've been a blank slate for ha- over half my life. So mm-hmm. like, let's start toiling around and what works in this and you know like like you mentioned a little like the buddhism aspect of it and like there's a and like what do what do i like i'm just gonna start picking and choosing actually (laughs) like these are the things i'm interested in again it goes back to values these are my values and what practices can enhance and sustain those values so yep um well, I think it's time to wrap up. Yeah. Um, I think we're but two, I, two and a half hours I like to, uh, not quite, and the, 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 two and a quarter, but okay. it'll be about two once we, once I cut the things for a little breaks and stuff. But, um, but I always like to end with a gratitude moment, um, about where we each share something we're grateful for. Again, in my, as I'm developing something of a spiritual practice, gratitude mm-hmm. has been a huge part of that. Um, so would you mind sharing something you're grateful for? And then I will as well. I uh, am, well, yeah, so I'm grateful for, A, my wife, uh, and that she tolerates my uh, chaos at times. And staying uh, over here for two and a half yeah. hours. But uh, I would say on that, it's, I'm, I'm grateful for where I'm at, and I mean that in the sense of, uh, like, physically in like physical location in Madison County, uh, which is a weird one because people try to leave this place. Yeah. I found a home and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Uh, But it's also, I'm like where I'm at as a person of like, I'm just comfortable in my skin and Mm -hmm. I don't hold on to the things that some others do. And I understand holding on to things. I just, yeah, you know, I'm grateful that I can walk away from certain things and not let it bother awesome mine is i'm just going with what i see i'm very grateful for this rain we're getting um as someone who is is invested in this farm that's great mm-hmm. um but also as someone who understands where we're at with some stuff with climate change with life yeah. and with all that and with the the way the heat's been lately it's nice to get a little rain uh for sure, even though I was hoping to go play some disc golf after this, but um, I guess I won't. But uh, but I'm th- yeah, I'm grateful for the rain. All right, well, Colt, thank you for being here. Tyler, thanks for having me. One last piece of gratitude before we go. I want to say thanks again to our guests for being on the show and thanks y'all for listening and hopefully sharing and following along um and i also want to say thanks as always to landon caldwell aka creeping pink for letting us use his song uh free yourself as the opening track and Derek crownover for letting us use his piece float as the cover image for the podcast so thanks to everyone who has any part in this who supports this 
uh, and thank you for being here.